0: And welcome to episode 11 of the Heavy Metal Bebop Podcast, a series of conversations about jazz and metal. I'm your host, Hank Steamer. If you tuned into the show in 2019, you may have noticed that heavy metal bebop has been on a break for a few months. The first 10 episodes were a real learning experience for me in terms of how much goes into producing a podcast that I feel is up to the standard that I want to hear. So I took some time to regroup, reflect, and record some new conversations. I can't guarantee I'll stay on a monthly schedule in 2020, but I'm dedicated to keeping the show going, and I can't thank you enough for tuning in to the second season, as it were. If you've enjoyed the show in the past, or if you like what you hear on this episode, please consider subscribing to Heavy Metal Bebop and Apple Podcasts and leaving a rating or review there, spreading the word via social media, or even just telling a friend. Any of these are hugely appreciated. In addition to Apple Podcasts, you can also find the show on Spotify, Podbean, or various other services. So this time around, we actually have two guests, presented one after the other. They are Lilla Gruber, drummer, co-founder, and principal songwriter for the German death metal band Defeated Sanity, and Jacob Schmidt, the band's bassist and co-songwriter since 2005. If you've listened to prior episodes of the show or read heavy metal bebop interviews online, you've no doubt run across Defeated Sanity's name. That's because, like Meshuga and Gorguts before them, During the past 15 years or so, Defeated Sanity have gradually evolved into an institution of forward-thinking metal, a band that open-minded musicians both inside and outside the genre look to as leaders in their field. Their work draws on the brutality of genre forefathers like Cannibal Corpse, as well as the jazz savvy of bands like Cynic, creating a breathtakingly diverse sound that wholly rejects the pristine veneer of modern extreme metal. In 2016, Defeated Sanity released Disposal of the Dead slash Darmada, a sort of self-split album that isolated the two different sides of their work. Recently, Lilla and Jacob were in New York, putting the finishing touches on their upcoming album at Menegroth, the Queen's studio owned and operated by my friend Colin Marston. I dropped by and sat down with Lilla and Jacob for sequential conversations, touching on why Lilla considers the Mahavishnu Orchestra to be his Black Sabbath and why he'd like to combine Miles Davis's Tutu with Death Metal Slams. And Jacob's take on the difficulties of being a truly progressive band in an often conservative genre. I should note here that if you're listening to this episode in March 2020, Defeated Sanity are about to head out on a big U.S. tour with Origin, so definitely check their Facebook page for all details on that. I've seen them live several times, each time I've been completely floored. All right, you'll hear a little bit of Consumed by Repugnance from Defeated Sanity's 2010 album Chapters of Repugnance, followed by my conversation with Lila Gruber. Then a section of the mesmerizing light from Darmada, followed by my conversation with Jacob Schmidt. Cool. Yeah. So, so I thought um, I kind of like to start by talking about your your dad a bit. Yeah. Sure. Um you know, his music. I've I've checked things out a little bit. I was sort of doing some research last night, um, listening to a couple of his early bands. But I guess I'm just wondering, like, from your perspective, uh, you know, your your I'd like to hear about your like your early memories of hearing his music and what you know, you know, what he was doing at the time and how that might have sort of influenced your early tastes
1: yeah it's it was highly influential like probably the drummer i've learned most from and musician i learned most from you know and the the whole philosophy and i i, I learned i i learned about how he pieced musical ideas together and everything and um, yeah it was immense and not just him it was like i saw him and all um all his buddies, his his musicians' buddies were all into jazz, rock, like blues uh, specialists, you know, like, so I they were, I consider many of them like my teachers and um, with the whole hippie kind of um, freak kind of uh, 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 philosophy, um, they would also like, let me just play the drums when they're playing and she so, like they in, involve you like they involve kids a lot and it's, it's all about that peace love happiness kids you know like uh, so yeah i became good friends with them and like also the 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 husband of i don't know 30 years or something of of my mother he's also a big um like he's uh very uh successful right now playing funk soul blues and stuff so from him i <clears throat> i got to know a lot of these people that played that music you know session drummers and um i think that's why i know a lot more than other metal musicians that want to acquire this kind of style so i think that's i think that's how that became part of my anatomy a little bit you know the whole more sensitive kind of drumming and stuff you know but yeah the main main guy was obviously my dad
0: so so ron <coughs> spielman is is the guy you're referring to yes exactly yeah, right okay yeah, yeah I, I checked him at a, 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 a sorry i checked him out a little bit and i'd like to talk about that a little bit as well but um in terms of like the so so the style that you were like observing your dad playing, it was sort of like this kind of jazz rock thing. Or what what were they doing at the time? Like,
1: yeah, that's that's basically all. Like that he taught me to call it jazz rock. He like he told me all this stuff. Like that's also rock jazz. It's, that means jazz people that play rock or something. You know, like all this like subtle little things like how like guttural brutal slamming death. You know, but back in the seventies, you know um so yeah and um yeah they, he called it jazz rock most of the time yeah uh, and then i think what people when people want to search for this german style they were playing it would probably be called uh, crowd rock
0: okay okay yeah yeah Yeah.
1: so um, basically just very progressive mostly instrumental music yeah
0: the, the the band is is like no area is that what the band
1: yeah is the band was band? used yeah. like his the band how he got like i guess not really famous but well known as a drama was uh era it was used to be just era okay not no okay. era yeah and yeah they they were like semi they weren't the biggest i think i don't know Maybe you know more about this than than I do. Uh, there, there were like some big bands in that in that genre. Uh, I don't know what was the biggest band in that?
0: You mean like in krautrock? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, there's Can and things can, like that. Can. I wanted people. to say Can yeah, right away, right. but
1: I didn't know if that was right.
0: Yeah. I mean, cuz hearing hearing your your dad's band it seemed like there was a little more emphasis on like, you know, with like the saxophones in there. It seems like a little more of a overt jazz thing happening in that maybe.
1: Yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know as as far as what he played to me uh in very like that really stuck was uh everything chick Corea electric was doing um could be returned to forever or whatever yeah you know like he had these tapes where it was all mixed and he didn't even know what was what and shit <laughs> so but um the big name that stuck for me was mahavishnu orchestra the first two records that's some of my, like sometimes I call that my Black Sabbath because, I don't know, because Defeated is just more about that jazz influence, you know, I'm not calling it jazz, I'm calling it jazz influence because it's they were playing rock, but they were jazz guys kind of, you know. And um, I don't know, to me that was, I did like Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin and Deep Purple and Cream because that was the popular music from that time, I guess but Mahavishnu was just like it was I liked that it went deeper it, in my opinion like it, it went uh more subtle kind of yeah
0: so uh, now like I could be wrong <clears throat> with the chronology here but it sounds like maybe you you were being exposed to this kind of uh fusion style before maybe you had a strong background in either like super straight ahead jazz or super straight ahead hard rock and metal or did you already know those things and then you heard Mahavishnu and you sort of brought those two things together.
1: Well, I I, I would say as a kid, I probably heard the sounds of electric guitar and probably through Mahavishnu Orchestra and all, all these guys that my dad was playing with. Um, and um, that influenced me, but I didn't really know, okay, music is my thing. And then I got to say where it really got to me like i i need music is my thing is straight up mega metallica so and then after i might have heard mahavishnu and go like oh but this stuff is also good like you know mm. i think that's where how it went
0: so you were able to sort of like connect back with that stuff after you got into yeah, yeah it's sort of actual metal
1: yeah yeah i think uh my my pop years were when i was like Six, seven, eight, nine, there was only, it was only allowed to go like Testament, uh, Slayer, Overkill, uh, uh, <laughs> I don't know, Death and stuff. But then I kind of grew up quite, kind of quick and then actually accepted that kind of stuff. You know, it, uh, with classical music, it was the same. It was like the Requiem from Mozart was probably around that time when I actually said, Yes, this is. I I love this. Before that, I was like just, oh yeah, yeah, it's all grown up stuff. But uh, can you put on Metallica? You know, <laughs> but um, yeah. At, I don't know. I I feel like I was kind of growing up at that time musically and accepting the jazz and the the classical.
0: Now, just so I'm clear, like, did you have at that time any background in like so called? you know, straight ahead jazz, Would your dad be like, oh, you know, here's Charlie Parker or, or here's Thelonious Monk or, you know, Duke Ellington? I mean, you know, kind of the more, in the earlier styles of jazz, was that in your, your listening at all? Or
1: I wasn't that grown up. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. I Until I got that stuff, it took a little longer. Like, because it's, to me, it's even more... Uh, like for example, it's hard to hear the bass. It's hard to hear on those old recordings. It's, it's hard to hear the harmonies, and um, it's just like it sounds like so many other people. Just like doo, 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 like when people complain about jazz, you know. <laughs> I think that that was me as a child, you sure. know. Yeah. And then later it kind of took form, and then um, yeah. But up to this day, I'd I'd not say I'm a I'm a an expert heard on straight up jazz but um i <clears throat> if it comes on or if i get the chance to see it i'm always blown away like by the just the, the concept of uh, improvisation you know like that's like music is more like a game and you can make a mistake and then i don't know the ball goes to the enemy team and you have to get it back and you know and that's all a concept which doesn't it simply kind of doesn't exist in in metal. Mm, mm, mm. Other than you losing a stick and having to get it and then you play the same things that you played yesterday, you know.
0: <laughs> right, there's not really like a, a way to incorporate the mistake as yeah. much.
1: I mean, it's, sometimes mistakes actually happen and there then you see a video and it's like, "Whoa, that's actually pretty cool." Like it's sometimes a feel that you have to change because of something, I don't know what it comes out cooler than this, the same thing you've played 20 days before on tour, you know? And um, it's that spontaneous thing that you kind of have to, you go from hit one hit to the next, you know? It's, uh kind of makes it more interesting sometimes.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, and this is obviously skipping ahead a lot, but but that element you're describing is something that is so present in Defeated Sanity that's not present in so much other death metal that has so much uh that is so much on the grid and so much sort of like sound replaced and Mm -hmm. almost kind of computerized i mean yeah do, do you think that that element of defeated sanity comes out of your appreciation of jazz you wanted to make it a little more like human sounding
1: yeah that for sure yeah as i said that's definitely part of my upbringing and um i don't know it's just like yeah it's for example like a metal sometimes metal drummers even criticize me for playing like the Hyatt you know and it's like I'm like I like that and they want not like and I'm thinking why why does it like sometimes yeah awesome but why does it always have to be like this so I guess that is definitely a big part of of it you know um but it's still i gotta i i I can't say that anything like big parts are improvised still, so that's very far away from jazz actually right 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 it's uh very composed yeah more of a movie. feel
0: more of a feel thing than an actually spontaneous thing yeah, right
1: I don't know, but I know we're like i'm i'm thirty seven now maybe the the improvised era comes now or something I don't know <laughs> yeah. Always looking for new ways, I don't know it's just with the distorted guitars and everything and it's just not easy to improvise death metal, I guess <laughs> gotta ask Colin he has more
0: well yeah it seems <laughs> it seems like there's people who are kind of starting to creep into it, like I know there's that band and serack that they have, and then exactly um, uh Piron has done it a little bit mm-hmm. um, but it's it seems like people are just kind of tiptoeing out and figuring out how how that might work,
1: yep. You know, all like all power to them yeah it's <laughs> awesome what's happening i think
0: um well to get back a little bit to, to to the chronology um so it sounds like you know your dad's exposing you to this jazz rock stuff whether it, whether it's stuff he's playing or Mahavishnu vishnu Chikorea, things like that and then you start getting into metal and then well you're playing classical guitar and mm-hmm. then you're playing metal that's later As, okay the, the, the classical charts later but then then the drums come in and you're you're then it seems like you're basically exposing your dad to metal. Exactly. Right. That's basically what it is. Okay. Yeah. Um so talk about that uh ex- talk about that experience a little bit because I think it's it's interesting that, you know, that that it would be such a two-way street. I think it's relatively rare for like a parent and a child like usually it's like, you know, parents show the child music and maybe they don't get the music that the child is mm. but it sounds like for you it was very much a two-way thing. Yeah,
1: he was a unique person. Like I, I love him for that. You know, be, that's that's that's. Most of his colleagues were like, "Ooh, what's this?" This like it's like go like early into the eighties. All you saw was like spandex and like pop. Like for them, that was pop. That was like we don't need this. This is this is cheesy. And he was like, he he actually mentioned to me he actually played uh, with the Scorpions, and he was like the only one that was like, "Hey guys, just just." Stop! Like the like, just stop and look at that fucking guitarist. Like, I think he was talking about Oli John Roth. It was like, this is not just cheesy. This this is this is art, you know. And I think that's he had a little episode of that, and um, that was before I knew anything of metal. And then, um, then the next thing is, I think they tried to go to a Slayer concert just to check it out, and they came too late, and they all all they saw was alcoholic corpses on the ground <laughs> and, I don't know they didn't get to check it and then I don't know and then in the end uh, it was uh, me uh, blasting Megadeth Metallica uh, he wasn't funny enough he wasn't convinced by Iron Maiden Like like anything that was rocky he thought it was cheesy and I still I, I still have that kind of maybe a little snobby thing that I'm like everything that's still like in the blues pentatonic and you've got bb king for that you know mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. he's he they're they, they are the masters of that so metallica kill them all i still ugh, i don't I, I can't take that seriously for me metallica ride the lightning this is chromatic phrygian um i don't know a little bit of you know you know like a little bit of diminished and and stuff that's that's when i start to go like okay this is metal you know and <clears throat> this is the metal that he thought was inspiring and I think that also comes from knowing Mahavishnu who already um, were dark you know they had that dark stuff going on yeah so um, basically then he heard Megadeth Metallica Slayer um, and he was like okay this is actually awesome you know and um, I don't know we just was just a dad and a son activity to play that stuff together like i had i had ideas he tried to write like that but couldn't at first and was kind of funny you know was very cool interaction to get into metal like he's like the only person that was always talking yeah we need to make it sound like authentic metal you know because he came from some completely different thing and sometimes i would even, even even say like no daddy that sounds that doesn't sound like metal it's too rocky and <laughs> you know it's like there were these weird situations it was it was funny yeah.
0: but but so he was good enough at so he's he was a drummer in these old bands but he he was also good enough at guitar that he could just jump in there and play yeah, metal. Guitar. So he was sort of virtuosic on all these instruments, like you, kind of like you are. <clears throat>
1: yeah. Uh, by the way, virtuosic, I, I wouldn't apply to the both of us. Okay. I, well, that, well, that, able to. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but. Um, yes. Yeah. He was. He had a great feel on guitar. Like sometimes he would bust out like Hendrix kind of j- jams. Wham! Like, fuck. Why? What? what what is happening why why can he do this like this, why isn't he famous sometimes you know like and um, the same he had for the drums as well and yeah and then the the death metal challenged him to no end like that that was he had to force himself to be authentic <laughs> and the chops the metal chops were on both on drums and on guitar were a problem for him
0: well uh, th- there's a, there's a lot of things I want to sort of go back to in what you just said, but like th- I was interested in that <clears throat> thing that you were saying about how um, let's say like the early Metallica or the Maiden wasn't really appealing to you, but then this then once it got into the Ride the Lightning and later, I don't know, it's just kind of interesting because it's almost when like w- when it links back up with almost classical ideas or something yes. like that, yes, and, and, and it gets away from like you said the blues and stuff like that, yes, because because obviously Ma Vishnu, there, there's a lot of sort of like classical virtuosity yes. coming into play with that too
1: true yeah um anyway yeah um yeah that's uh or the or the really complicated jazz too you know right like the i feel like it comes out of the the gospel like the gospel chords like sometimes i listen to pop music like um kind of black music you know and then um I'm thinking, "Whoa, how did they get away with this fucking discord mm, here? and like mm. I'm, that's like if I like pop music, like actual pop music, then it's it's uh gospel inspired right R and b and stuff mm-hmm. and um that plays a part, just dissonance, you know, and um yeah, that's that's a big thing that molded uh like I, I just like these dissonant uh <clears throat> atmospheres. Mm.
0: yeah well with him like this whole process you're describing of him like sort of like indoctrinating him into the metal thing and like the death metal like was it like you just bring him a record or something and be like oh this is I mean what were the what were the touchstones like what were the the bands that you two were trying to was it like suffocation Campbell Corpse things like that at that time or was it like Mm. like like what was in the mix Um, yeah it
1: gradually went up to that like I remember actually because i was so young and i i think i must have been 7 or something and my mom was way more like yeah let's just get him what he wants and my dad was like ooh slayer rain and blood for christmas really like you know and it's, know, he was kind of like keeping me away like hold your horses you know like and then it was like but at 8 i started um i remember it was this tape um, morgoth like mm-hmm. german death metal mm-hmm. band an obituary that's the first time i heard death metal and from then on i i wanted to know it all and then yeah of course cannibal corpse I, cannibal corpse was of course another level because of the butchered at birth cover artwork he was like i don't know about that and then i remember just the moment the first time we listened to tomb of the Mutilator mm-hmm, together mm-hmm. and he he was just like sitting there and like and we were counting out the time signatures and the just the general art art vibe that album has, you know it's like so abstruse it's like it reminds me of um modern classical music because it's so so weird, you know
0: out there <laughs> Dude, <that doesn't laughs> like. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> well so 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 you two were actually discovering that together, like, yeah, you hearing it for the first time you and your dad yeah yeah we
1: we were listening to all that stuff together, like mm. it was um. It wasn't like, go to your room with that shit. Like, he was always like in on it. Like, yeah, that's pretty much all the tapes I knew and listened to, he listened to them. Mm. So, yeah.
0: So then it's like, you're hearing that and then he's trying to play guitar like that and you're trying to play drums like that? That's kind of how... Yes. Yeah.
1: So he's an accomplished musician. That's why I always said he wanted to be authentic metal. But somehow... I don't know. I feel like t- the last four or five compositions that he made actually went there and they ended up on the album or something, you know. But before that it was always a little bit there was just you couldn't get it out of him, you know, the 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 little bit rocky vibe. Yeah. And it's it's, it's kind of funny that there's a person that exists that wants to be authentic metal hmm mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> It's coming yeah, because because it's 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 relatively rare for someone to like have all that experience playing something else and then like treat metal with such respect, you know, yes. and really want to like approach it, you know, from the from the ground up, you know. Exactly. Yeah.
1: That's what I thought was so awesome about him. Mm.
0: But you're saying the, the compositions that you're talking about where he finally kind of got over that hump, you're saying um that's we hear that on the first Defeated Sanity album is that f- kind of where you the feel? first
1: one actually has a few things where I'm like yeah like the both both my riffs and his riffs in that one song uh, tortured existence is mm-hmm. the song mm-hmm. where I'm like that's it's it's not st- should have stayed a demo song kind of to me but then um I don't know I would say the first few songs of his that I thought were like where I'm still contemplating we have to get them back because it's like now it's the 10 year anniversary of his death Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. so i'm thinking about uh, getting back back the title track prelude to the tragedy and uh maybe remnants of the deed those are songs where i'm like okay he he's got an actual grasp like or like not just a grasp he he adds something by being a little different and having that extra knowledge and he made it extreme it, it was death metal you know it wasn't just trying to sound like death metal;
0: it was actual death metal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he was. So were you each in the er, in those early days of the band? I know it went through so many different phases. There's the different demos and things like that, and people can listen to those on on the Bandcamp page. But like, were you each writing full songs, or were you kind of collaboratively writing this material, or how was it?
1: Um, we, we did every scenario basically between the two of us. Like, there's songs that only he recorded and wrote and then there's other songs that i only recorded and and wrote and then there was collaborative stuff it was just that's when like the blast the blast beat and double bass that's when he got out of the drum business that's that's he didn't get a grasp on that at all so a little bit and then yeah then he became a mandolin player
0: Mm.
1: (laughs) you know like he he didn't like, he was a he was a hippie kind of like, he wouldn't like if I said that, like he was a freak. Mm. You know, he was more like a, it was all about not being too stressful against establishment and uh, get, getting out of church, you know, like, uh, I don't know, how do you call that? Uh, austreten.
2: Oh, reject.
1: I yeah, guess. I don't know. He, he, he signed something that he's not, a, a christian anymore ah, and stuff. Okay, okay i don't know why he's like all about n- 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 no authority mm-hmm, and everything mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that's kind of a little bit contradictor uh con- contradicting to okay i have to I have to put the click on an- on and go play exact uh, six tuplets here and like and i don't know he was just like that that was against his nature he's like more of a i don't know just just like that hippie spirit you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where it could be fast but it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be or or classical music for example that's also the opposite of of uh that hippie stuff mm. you know and he was just more relaxed and i think that was the problem of having to play death metal
0: mm, <laughs> mm. you mean because to, to a certain extent you have to not relax in order to do that stuff well is that what you mean
1: yes or push just push your boundaries Mm. he he was more of a like a a little bit of a stoner you know like hang down and
2: (laughs) (laughs) you know that's the opposite and
1: (laughs) to a certain extent i still have that too i that's for example some people would would tell me like would probably see that oh, what's that going down there with the with the double bass? Why why don't you, like, why you play there, like, th- why is this such a mess? And I'm like, I don't know, it's just something, you know? It's like a mm. Th- mm. something while, it's just fast, you know? But it doesn't have to always be...
0: Metronome or yeah. something, yeah, right. Yeah, that's... Yeah, it, well, just, yeah, it seems like there's, <clears throat> with the double bass stuff, it seems like it's almost like people just turn it on and off like it's just a high-speed metronome or something It, it it's always in time or mm-hmm. it's just not there at all it's it just seems like there's a large unexplored space that people could do a lot more with the, the yeah kick, the kick in this music maybe yeah
1: and it's um it's almost it becomes more and more of a requirement hey you have to play so and so bpm you know yeah it's it's always about bpm and um That's another thing where I'm like opposing that is again also classical music because classical music knows about the BPM, yeah, but it's not like turning it into a fetish, you know. Classical music goes by a conductor, and if the conductor wants you to slow down a little bit, you will, you know. It's um, it's a lot more. It is a little bit more sensitive, you know, and um, I think yeah, we are one of the rare bands that incorporate that from time to time you know especially live because actually like the this album we're recording right now is, is the first full album that we're actually doing with a click
0: oh so, okay okay yeah. so, so you've never used a click on the past recordings
1: yeah on on Darmada was the first time where we started using it okay we just wanted it to be super clean sure, you know? sure, sure. and this time it's also kind of a scenario like that i don't know but um, as for for live, uh, we're still. I don't think the the point in time will come where we go with backing tracks and click another. It's just a little oppress oppressive to me.
0: Well, okay, so so just to go back, like okay, so you're talking about you know you're you're kind of you know getting started with this death metal thing with your dad. You're both kind of like you know working up the ladder, like you know trying to you know, incorporating different influences and stuff like that. One thing I'm curious about, okay, so this um, this kind of prog fusion thing that comes into Defeated Sanity later, like you really start to hear it on like um, chapters and then uh, uh, mm-hmm. passages and then obviously um, When When did that sort of idea start to come in that like, okay, we're playing death metal, but we're also gonna have this like insane prog fusion thing Mm -hmm. kind of melded into it like was that was that you know in those early days was it kind of like oh well he was showing me Mahavishnu Chikori and we could take that and combine that with this Cannibal Corp stuff and then maybe we could have some you know crazy mix of all this was that in the mix or were you just trying to be a death metal man
1: Mm, at some point I I, I remember in my head like uh, I don't know like I think when we when I when we wrote the second record, I was like, I want that critics say we're a mix of Broderquin and Watchtower. Mm, mm. So like I don't know I had I had that actual concrete thought where I was like, ooh that's what I want to do, you <laughs> know, like bring the extremes together, and um, yeah I I I would say yeah it's uh, to answer your question yeah it was definitely a thing to mold everything we love together in in the but in a way where it's it makes sense you know like I'm, I'm very serious about composition transitions and um, yeah to make it uh, it's like chemicals chem- chemists working on some compound and uh, it was a successful fusion you know to me Cynic Focus that's a successful fusion you know what I mean, and I don't. I don't. Know. We're probably a successful fusion of uh, things that are not as obvious fusion, but they. I think. I think. a, a big, big uh, key word is non-obvious. Like mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. Defeated Sanity has never been really obviously that, because everything was distorted. And but if you take the distortion out, you know, you could. You could play that stuff on a piano and could be a classical piece uh, if you mold it a little and um, other things could be made into jazz things you know um but by also by the extreme sound sometimes that stuff drowns but the the extreme sound is still important enough for me because i have we we have the death metal roots you know so yeah that's our style always, has always come
0: with problems, mm, mm.
1: and I think Colin just fixed that. <laughs>
0: yeah. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing the results of that. But yeah, it's <clears throat> it's it's interesting. I, I was actually going to ask you about sort of this, um, yeah, because this early '90s kind of Florida stuff is like an important. You know, you've got your Ma Vishnu back in the early 70s or something, but then, and, you know, these kind of genres cross in different ways. But that early 90s, thing, something really started to happen there with like death, human,
2: mm. cynic,
0: cynic focus. Obviously, yeah. obviously
1: it was not my idea. Yeah. It's uh, the first, uh, I don't know, like the first thing I, I already mentioned it, Watchtower, to me that's... yes absolutely that's that's a key band you could also say confessor in a way not with jazz really but with with um just progressive mm-hmm, elements mm-hmm. and then and then yeah at, in the death metal world um, atrocity early atrocity uh toyed around with it but the ones that the, the album that brought everything open a lot of eyes was uh death human and uh, uh sean reiner is just that was just genius the way he treated death metal and filled it out with rudiments and and it's to me that's a key moment in in history music history really.
0: Mm. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm curious about like chronologically when that came around <clears throat> for you because you're talking about hearing like Tomb of the Mutilated that's around ninety two. At that point, hum, I think Humans ninety one. So when yeah, yeah. when did you hear? When did you hear Human or or Focus? Like, when did those records... In the years they were oh, released? Oh, you heard them right yeah. there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was, I was a weird kid, you know?
1: I put away my toys, and it was all about music. It was... I I, I, I heard uh, Confessor and Death and uh, Nocturnus, and, like, what I didn't hear was Watchtower. That was 88. I was too young for that. But, um, yeah, yeah. Focus, I I bought that in the stores. Hearing, like, reading this stuff, like... Uh, jazz fusion influence meets death metal grab that right away that's
0: i I need that i knew i needed that yeah so so you i mean i you you were probably one of there probably weren't a lot of listeners who were really equipped to like like hear the fusion part of that and also hear the death metal part like it sounded like you had a unique background that prepared you to appreciate both sides of that in a way because a lot of the metal fans who were listening that probably weren't they mm-hmm. probably hadn't heard Mavish, new things like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I've, um, I don't know. It's, uh, but I got to say, there are a lot of people like me. Like um, I think <clears throat> I want to make a bold statement and say, vast majority of the metal people are probably the most open-minded mm. people uh, you can find musically and everything else. Like uh, I know you always find uh, someone liking something that you would never expect uh, and um to say the least, you know, but yeah, most of them have a broad spectrum of what they're listening to mm. I think so well,
0: what can you tell me about? I mean, you spoke a little bit about it, but like like that early exposure to because something like Cynic obviously was, seems like a major influence on like Darmada and things like that. I mean, oh, yeah. wh- what can you say about hearing that, you know, and how it, how it struck you at the time?
1: It was just this explosion of, okay, now it's getting serious. Now I need to go, I need to learn how to read music because I, I could hear, this is, Sean Reiner, that's more than just uh, practice every day or whatever this is you 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 gotta learn about jazz or you gotta learn about uh, classical you know like i i that was just okay this just practicing is not enough because i don't understand what they're doing there you know and then um yeah i think that's what did that was just uh was just an eye-opener what's what's possible you know
0: like the okay, so 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 you're sort of setting this goal then, and then like if we hear your drumming now, like you have an extremely strong grasp of you know, black you know, blast beat kind of the metal vocabulary, but also there's so much finesse mm-hmm. with the hands. So, how does it on, on both of those sides like, how, you know, what was the path to kind of um learning how to blast, figuring that out for yourself, and then figuring out this whole kind of Fusion kind of fusion type vocabulary that 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 we can also hear in your playing. Uh, um, I know. Can you condense the question? A well, little? I, yeah. I, I guess what I'm saying is those are two very different disciplines. You know, there there yeah. there are many drummers who are fantastic at blasting and are fantastic at kind of finesse fusion yeah. type playing, but it's almost like you could be good at one and have no idea how to do the other. So mm-hmm. I guess I'm wondering, how does that end up in one musician able to do both? Like, I'm very interested in how somebody, because it, it, it must have taken two very separate paths to like mm-hmm. figure out both those things. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, first of all, funny enough, I I always feel like I can't fully do both of these things. Some people will agree, like the people that say, oh, that double bass, that's not... Uh. And then I know that, like, the <clears throat> because I'm still self taught what when it comes about um, rudiment drumming and everything. And I'm just, I'm still growing up in that spectrum, you know. I'm still like, oh, oh wow, like all these, I need to learn all these rudiments and learn to incorporate them and everything. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling like that's part of my problem is that I have looked at two things that are too different and i feel like it um it definitely didn't make me an expert like john Longstreth, that's an expert in blast beats okay you know mm-hmm. that's it, you can fuck with him and i was f- for me <clears throat> i remember getting a gig offer for play with a like a bigger band and i just had to say no i can't i can't do the, the 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 double bass and i know you want that double bass and i know there's tons of people that can do that double bass and it's uh i don't know it still kind of gets me to like okay should i learn doubles or you know but at the same time you know there's animals as leaders out there matt Garske, and i'm like oh fuck i need to work in this direction and then i Go to the left, to the right, to the left, to the right. That's kind of h- how I am, and um, uh, I think that's just that just carved out my path to be somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So always went back. Like, um, but as to how I got into the jazzy, rockier stuff, like normal drumming, j- session drumming, you know. Um, it was just uh, for me. Mainly, it's really improvisation, real improvisation. Just sit there for one hour and just fuck around, like play, and learn how to make everything tasty, you know. And um, yeah, and then of course there are the musical ideas, you know. That this riff happens to be eleven eighths, and you don't want to just blast over it. What can you do with it? And you sit there and go one hour trying to improvise in 11 eighths just trying to find what can I do with that and then um, yeah doubles came d- double double strokes just funny, funnily enough first with the left hand I, I just put them in and then I recognized I can't even do them with the right hand and I started playing them with the right hand and then just very much later I started to actually go okay I need to practice these rudiments and practice a double stroke roll and everything and yeah it's more like uh it's it's very simple really you know like it's either a double stroke or it's a single stroke and uh you can combine it as you want you know that's um yeah it's just my own little science i guess
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, in terms of getting into some of those like jazzier ideas and the drums like was there ever a period of actually like you know quote unquote shedding playing jazz like were you ever like oh you know putting on a a jazz or fusion record and and attempting to kind of like you know work with a feel like that or was it was it was it not that concrete
1: Yeah weirdly enough uh again there comes the the hippy thing uh, from my dad I don't know my my dad just never told me hey, you can get a backing track and play along to it. I, don't, I didn't do that. Like, I've, I've never done that. I recently started putting on an R&B track and trying to uh, sound like a gospel drummer, you know. That's, uh, that's been just recently where it's not part of my uh, early musical education. So, yeah, no, that... Recently I started reading I don't know um what was it called the art of bebop drumming uh-huh, uh-huh. and shit I'm having the hardest time you know but um uh, I don't know I'm I'm just happy that I'm like 30 almost 38 and still there's so much to learn still mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I, it it helps so much like I think I'm getting I'm slowly getting there where I want to be you know
0: mm. Yeah, I was watching that footage of you playing with this, I think it's called Intercepting Patterns. This, uh-huh. um, I guess this is like a sort of a fusion band that you did some session drums for. Mm-hmm. Um, is that sort of like the um, quote-unquote like jazziest like playing experience that you've, you've had or are there other things that we don't know about that might be more in that direction?
1: Yeah, I would say when it comes to the direction of jazz fusion, that's definitely... I was waiting for that moment like I was like oh just finally I can try myself out you know um and before that what I've always been doing was um do these free uh, uh, open stage kind of sessions like um with with Ron Spielman for example mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um Local Richter is, is another guy from the past from from my my old uh, my my dad's colleagues just like um I think that's how i that's the only way i sort of got into that, but more f- f- more free you know in a more hippie kind of way, not you have to know this 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 standard and if you don't know go get off the stage and you know but yeah i'd love i'd love to have the next opportunity to to try myself out like i know i've gotten a lot better since that even Mm. and um yeah but it i don't know it doesn't happen too much like the 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 opportunity doesn't come up too much sadly
0: so that that record you recorded drums for it but it's it's not out yet it'll be out at some point that intercepting patterns thing
1: yeah, uh, as far as I know, they have to finish uh, the bass tracks on that, mm. and um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I think it's t- taking a while. I don't know what the reasons are, but yeah, it's, it's getting a little. <laughs> I don't know. It's delaying mm-hmm, a little
0: bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you mentioned this kind of like playing free thing. It kind of reminded me. I I've forgotten to ask you. There's on that um, on that Bandcamp the early sort of demos and stuff you have, I think there's one track where, I, I think it might just be your dad who did a whole free track. Yes. W- what can you tell me about that? It's like sort of like him playing free jazz, but overdubbing all the instruments or something? Yeah,
1: it's it's amazing, I think. Yeah, he, he actually played j- uh, uh, sax just without anybody teaching him anything. So it was just like free jazz as... As free jazz as they come, you know? <laughs> he doesn't know how to play a scale on that thing, mm. and um, s- kind of <laughs> same thing with the piano, he's just, <laughs> and then bass, obviously he can do um, guitar, he yeah, but he overdubbed everything, yeah, so, um I, th- I don't know if a metronome was really involved. it's uh I don't know, man. Now I'm. You're asking a question like where I'm like, how did he piece that together? Yeah, it was a long time ago mm. too. Yeah, but yeah, that was just
0: him. Were you all, um, <clears throat> out of curiosity, was was any of that stuff in in the listening, whether coming from him or from you, like the sort of free stuff, like you know, kind of in like Cecil Taylor or things like that? Like, was that was that ever part of the, um, the mix? Not for me so much. I have a I always call
1: myself like a when it comes to contemporary or free or, or, or kind of free jazz I call myself like a little bit vanilla. Mm, mm. So like I I I hardly can find any contemporary classical music I like and it's uh and it's just one piece the Turangalila symphony by mm. Messiaen where it's catchy. That's what I love, you know. And with jazz, I think there's also like um, I guess it's the traditional people when they start progressing. That's for me is the sweet spot. So for jazz, it would be um, Imperial, uh, Imperian Isles. Oh, yeah, sure. Herbie Hancock. Yeah. Like the song The Egg. Yep. That's, that's where that, that's, that's exactly where, where it gets me. Mm-hmm. That's uh, still kind of the, the traditional guys, but they're starting to progress. That's to me, that's the sweet spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So is is Tony Williams like a big one for you? Big.
1: Best the best one still for me. Like um him and Jack DeJohnette, I don't know, it's just the earthy vibe and <clears throat> absolutely sublime, you know? But still you hear them make a mistake and and stuff. And they they still have that hippie kind of thing, although they're sublime and like they've probably learned it all. But they don't care, they honestly don't care about these little mistakes that are on their records. Yeah, you know, you, you don't hear that anymore. I think um, Dave Weckle, D- Dave Weckle, or um, um, Vinnie Colayuda, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. Dennis Chambers, you, you don't hear them fuck up anymore. And I know s- for some reason, all these drummers are amazing um but for some reason i gravitated more towards tony williams because it had that relaxed kind of thing about it i don't i don't know it's probably not even true maybe they were like <laughs> they maybe they were really uh, strict about shit i don't know but anyways it sounded more dirty somehow mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but in recent years i did get into the later dramas too. Billy Coppham of course, is also one of those. You would hear him fuck up a little bit on Mahavishnu mm. recordings and stuff. And um, but who cares? He's he's the best, you know. Mm. Like that's the kind of Mahavishnu also has kind of I think it has a punk attitude. Like we're just like, <laughs> and it's not it's not really tight sometimes. But who cares? We are the best. We we have a bad day,
0: but who cares? Mm. You know, well, especially but, the live the live stuff. You can hear them playing these kind of almost out of control tempos. You know? Oh yeah, yeah. they play it even faster live yeah. sometimes. Yeah. What was it? Uh,
1: that fucking something commuters.
0: Oh yeah, celestial terrestrial commuters. Yeah. I seen yeah.
1: a I <laughs> I seen a version where they play that faster, F- like faster, faster. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm. yeah definitely but Shredder with yeah you said it attitude. with attitude yeah. yes yes yeah that's it
0: w- were you also into the like Tony Williams Lifetime stuff like, yeah
1: that's that's actually my f- I, I might seem vanilla again but my favorite is the one with Alan Holdsworth where they were yeah, a little yeah, bit more it. tame yeah, yeah and that's also my favorite Alan Holdsworth because mm. he was less tame <laughs> it's like a Early Tony Williams' lifetime was like wild hippie shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, I don't know, Holdsworth went into the super clean. And then, again, the sweet spot for me is... Uh, dun, 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 dun. Like this, uh, how is it? Mr. Spock or mm-hmm, something? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's that's the sweet spot for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and, 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 and Tony playing rock... <laughs> It's just otherworldly for me i was like he has a slam you know he doesn't yes he doesn't he's not he's hitting hard and he knows how to hit hard and uh just totally fascinated me that he could do that and kind of does it better than any rock drama i know mm. you know
0: <laughs> Have have you heard the um that band that he did with jan hammer uh, in like the early 90s it's it's only it, there's not a record but there's just like a video and it's him jan Hammer, and um Jor, Jor, jordan, jordan rudess is in it oh yeah yeah have you seen that Do you know what i'm talking about
1: uh, yeah i've seen it i've seen it but i kind of that was a little bit too keyboard guitar key guitar yeah style for me. <laughs>
0: well it's, it's it yeah it's it's very of its time but tony is still he really is like slamming always yeah
1: yeah yeah it's the 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 i don't know the the vibe of a record can be as bad as it want, wants to be but tony's always yeah doing like uh impressing mm. i mean there's this one album that i really don't like it's the one with jacko uh john mclaughlin trio of it, doom and, yeah oh, God, I, that's I, I think it's <laughs> it really sucks
0: <laughs> well i don't i, think, I think they did not like it I think they were all fighting McLaughlin I can not hear that because it's
1: not good music and that doesn't create a good atmosphere Mm.
0: Mm.
1: I think okay I think it's not
0: good music well just out of curiosity like did you um, did you have a chance to see like what is your experience like seeing jazz live like over the years has there been a lot or has this been mostly on record or were you able to see a lot of the stuff in Germany or like um yeah mostly i saw the the session musicians
1: from ron for example i had a, eh, with benny grip there's another uh funny uh, um, connection because i st- actually studied in the same i studied classical guitar where he was uh, starting to study drums and then later he became the drummer of ron's band and that's I don't know see that's the kind of that's the kind of um exposure I had I I could actually talk to these kind of people and and see them and that's um yeah I don't know that uh, uh, that was definitely big to see these kind of people just sound checking or whatever yeah um but I actually didn't go to see so much jazz all by my own just I I didn't have the money for it, and also, not that much interest, you know. So it was rare. I remember Jacob and I actually saw Cobham recently. Oh, okay. That was something. six years ago. Something. Six years ago. Uh, something like that. Yeah, and that was for me. I, I don't know. I I kind of swore to myself, John McLaughlin. If the next time he's coming, I got. I just gotta go. I gotta gotta go see it.
0: And was um, it when Cobham was doing like the Spectrum album, or was he?
1: Um, uh, I don't know was with this French kind of like it, it, he's in Switzerland now or yes something. he lives in Switzerland yeah was, was a French and Swiss, Swiss band or something so, yeah. mm, mm. really good guys really but to me yeah I, jazz dudes for me are always like oh wow mm. yeah. but yeah I, I, I don't I didn't go to to see them like I didn't go pay for concerts a lot
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: yeah but I plan to
0: <laughs> it, is there a lot of um, I'm wondering about like sort of more these days like I remember I think that and I'm not sure which one of you it was that had posted on Facebook but about that uh, that Ben Monder mm. interview but I guess I'm wondering about like in the current state of things like are you keeping up with yeah like like what players are you keeping up with now and like where are you hearing that stuff
1: um, yeah, well, uh, recently uh, I just got invited by the guys from uh, Stair Baby when they played oh, yeah, in, yeah. in Berlin. Yeah. And I uh, totally enjoyed it. Oh, you got to see Stair Baby? Yeah. Oh, yeah. awesome. Tell in me about Berlin. that. It was awesome. It was just like, um, I just love how that, really, like, how that whole scene really opened up. I couldn't believe that there were jazz people really opening up to the death metal and at that, not just like Meshuga or Pantera or whatever, they're actually naming brodequin and 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 deeds of flesh and I'm like, yes, you know, like uh, I immediately wanted to reach out to them there I think in New York there's a big there's a big thing happening now that it really bleeds into each other, and I would love to see an actual collaboration at one point. But yeah, Stare Baby definitely went into that direction where you hear like extremely distorted guitars and uh, uh, yeah, kind of death metal stuff sometimes and doom and all that kind of stuff, you know? And yeah, Dan Weiss is a great player, huh? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, but uh, for me recently... It it I've, it feels like I'm still listening to all the old grades. Still, I don't know. I I feel like there's a certain level of catchiness that right now everything is super like over the top, like um, 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 experimental. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I know, as I said, I'm more of a, like a little bit of a vanilla guy, kind of. Mm-hmm. It's funny to say that about yourself when some of your favorite stuff is brought (laughs) to you. (laughs) But but I don't know. In some ways, I think if I would make a jazz rock album, I think it would be, it would have catchy stuff and like, I don't know. I'm always like dreaming of certain things that I could do and for some reason I'm thinking, I'm imagining Tutu by Miles Davis. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Just take out the reggae and the funk and, substituted with slams and (laughs) i don't know but still have this i don't know kind of this i'm I'm thinking of that you know have like a a, have some distorted guitars there have uh maybe a fender roads and yeah maybe saxophone i don't know that's something i'm i'm always thinking about like at some point
0: i want to do something like that who would you who do you have like people that you sort of have your eye on that you want to collaborate with like from that world or
1: you know the thing is uh, I'm so I'm so like all these people I just mm-hmm. just named all mm-hmm. the people that like they're fantastic players you know and um it would always be uh, like <clears throat> I feel like uh people that are open-minded enough to be jazz players and get the death metal stuff i'd i'd love to collaborate with them because i know something
0: cool will come out Mm. yeah it's would be amazing you know are are there any other um okay so you mentioned like you know tony williams the later lifetime believe it you mentioned like first two ma vishnu are there any other um and obviously, we talked about like you know, death, human, and Cynic focus. But are there, are there any other like sort of key records in this whole area of things that you you would might want to shout out? Like maybe because yes. you mentioned Dejanet, D- like was there a, was there a particular Dejanet record? Or um, yeah, um, I love the it's
1: g- g- gateways. Yeah, uh-huh. John Abercrombie. Absolutely, yeah. <sighs> I was yeah. immense that I would put that more in the Mahavishnu era so to me that's more like um rock but i don't know i always mentions, mention this to everybody i think Jacob probably knows what's coming um uh, to me after mahavishnu or maybe together with mahavishnu the biggest impact on me and uh, had um gary thomas mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the cold cage album okay i don't that know that one, one that yeah. one and the, oh you should like he mixes he, it's extremely dark um, themes that go over one minute, or like it feels like it composed themes, you mm-hmm, know, mm-hmm. that never end. And in the middle of that is this kind of funk groove. It's Dennis Chambers playing on that. Uh, ah, okay. And um, and then they throw in this hip hop, like almost gangster rap. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why is this not like just just check out that album? It's for is me. Is this
0: like '80s or? 90s 90s okay. i think
1: 91 yeah. okay and yeah for me a lot of people laugh about uh, for some reason uh, laugh about this gary thomas stuff and i'm like i'm the only one that goes like this is like my bible when mm-hmm. it comes to mm-hmm. like the strangest chords and like really dissonant but in a way i can still after after 30 years I can start singing the melodies like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. singing along like it has some extent of catchiness and then yeah the darkness the the kind of death metal thing like the the thing where gangster rap and death metal kind of have a little Mm. similarity Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's I think I, I I hear him say sing a lot about like street the streets on in, in Baltimore mm, mm. like that's what it's about and so it's very dark very angry and that mixed with really uh the intellectual approach it's 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 that's my favorite fusion album along with the Mahavishnu mm, with the first mm, two mm. Mahavishnu records mm. definitely everybody gotta check that out
0: mm is there any other any other records like of the of of you know, that come to mind when you're thinking about any of this or um
1: Jacob recently gave me uh, the Aura album from Miles Davis mm, mm. It's amazing yeah i i I, abs- I absolutely love it and there's actually some some part that are heavy you that's also an album where i think of like that could be could be actually a slam there and so, <laughs> I know it's uh yeah that's a big that's a big album. And I don't know. Miles Davis had uh yeah Tutu. I don't know. Many people think I'm weird for liking Tutu. I love Tutu and um uh Bitches Brew, I didn't get so much like contact with and yeah and then to go back to really classical like bebop stuff i'm i always just see some concerts on the on on youtube i click on them and i'm like wow mm. but i don't know about the classics there mm. i think mm. that's i'm not that deep into it yeah that's it
0: um we, we talked about this a little bit i guess but i guess just to kind of like circle back to it like we were talking about the ways in which like this kind of interest in jazz and awareness of it might've like informed your playing or just like the aesthetic of defeated sanity as a whole. Like I was wondering if you could just come back to that. Just, I don't know what, what what are the, like, what are the ways in which you think that that stuff is all like bled into like your playing and the, the, the way the band sounds, because like you're saying, it's like, you know, being caught between this like super clean thing and like this kind of super punk thing. Like the, like, like, Defeated sanity mm-hmm. doesn't sound like any other death metal band. And I guess I'm wondering mm-hmm. if maybe that part of that has to do with all this coming all of these influences. Like like could could that be kind of part of why Defeated sanity doesn't sound like any other death metal band? Cuz you have all this in your DNA. Yeah? I think
1: yeah. you just already answered that like um and I in the beginning of the interview I said uh this thing I I don't know, I said that before like a little like a cool thing to say, you know, but it's really true. For me it's like Defeated Sanity is what Death Metal sounds like if your '70s band was Mahavishnu, mm. not Black Sabbath. Mm, mm, mm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I think that's that's basically what it is. Mm. You know, I, uh, without saying that Black Sabbath is pop, it certainly has the the simplicity more. Sure. And Mahavishnu has the the depth. And I've always, it was incredibly important for me that in Defeated Sanity, it has that depth. And if we write lyrics, it has to go along with the dramatic development of the song. And mm. uh, I don't know, it has to be... Th- that and of course uh, Bach is also very important for for me because change one note and it's already not right. You know, mm, so mm. I'm I'm really serious about that whole... That has the most, the yeah, the, the, that depth, you know, that's really serious music. Mm.
0: And it's also just, I mean, and we've kind of touched on this too, but like, it's such a radical statement at this point in that music to have it be so not um, triggered and not sound replace and so like organic sounding you know what i mean mm-hmm. like like in 2018 19 or something like that to have death metal that sounds like that to me you know it's very refreshing it's a it, it kind of puts me off of a lot of you know even a lot of the other death metal bands that i might have loved like in the 90s or something like that like mm-hmm. you know and not to put anyone down but like say like suffocation or something like you listen to mm-hmm. the later records and it's all like triggered and stuff it it it, it takes me out of the music and i appreciate that mm-hmm. when i listen to your band that the way that you listen to jazz and you can appreciate how the instruments sound, Mm -hmm. like, it seems like your band really values how instruments sound playing together in a room.
1: Yeah, totally. Um, For me, I think there's a, it's just a movement where people say, yeah, you just have to do it like that now because uh, you don't, you don't get enough fans and they're not gonna like it. I think it's it's bullshit because um, live you see, actually live, if you see these bands, they never have that triggered snare drum. Like the triggered bass drum is kind of, okay, that's, that's another very important aspect. It's, it's kind of not possible to make it stick out without the triggered bass drum so far. You know, when you, especially if you have a front of house, uh, ju- just uh, how you call it, a house guy yeah, you know, that doesn't even know your music. That's why you always have the trigger and then it always comes through with the, the fast shit, you know. But the snare drum for me, and also for other bands apparently, because you never hear triggered snare live. You'd, I don't know if you've if you've ever uh, witnessed that, but that it, it just doesn't happen. Kinda. Yeah, it's always natural snare. So some of these m- deathcore bands, sometimes I'm surprised how good they sound live because it's a real snare. Yeah. drum. but <clears throat> yeah, it's a big just a big movement where. Sometimes uh, sound engineers want to trick you into, yeah, uh, no, don't worry, I won't trigger it. And then I hear it, and then you got to go back into the studio and say, dude, take that shit off, you know? <laughs> and it's like, I've, I have a few friends that have that, and some friends don't hear it that well. And then, uh, no, I, I don't think, I don't know how that happened. I, I think it's natural. And I say, dude, it's, it's not the sound guy wants to be i think they want to be modern everybody is infatuated with a technology and i guess it's fun to fuck around with triggers and you know and i think a lot of that plays into it i don't know but yeah that's just the development mm. of the scene mm. and i don't care about it too much don't care for it too much
0: well, and it's also like like the way you're talking about like let's say a a, a Tony Williams or a Jack DeJohnette like kind of the emphasis on like like in jazz like so it'll be so much about like you know the timbre of like the ride cymbal or something mm-hmm. when playing the swing beat like that's such a signature thing of Tony's ride sounds a certain way mm-hmm. and with you it's like your snare oh yeah you know the timbre is like such a thing and also like on on um I think it's chapters where mm-hmm. those the symbols those crazy sounding, like, high-pitched, I don't know. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah, Uh, you mean the bells. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Like, like, I love the emphasis on, like, the physical timbre of of the drums and cymbals, which is so, you lose that in so much death metal, and I appreciate this, Mm -hmm. you know, and I don't know if that's, like, a jazz thing, but I appreciate Mm -hmm. how much that jumps out in your playing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I I think the the snare thing with hitting the, the, the snare a little bit, not in the middle... How everybody teaches you, you know. Um, uh, that's I, I, I guess if I have my own style, I think that's one of the uh, that's one of the foundations of my own style that I use the snare in different um, ways. Yeah, yeah. Mm. but yeah, I. That's to me just logical. Get the best out of everything, you know. Sure, the most out of it.
0: Um, I guess just like as a sort of final question, like we're talking about all this and, you know, obviously on Darmada, you hear so much of this like prog fusion thing coming. You're talking about, is there a way to improvise? Like, like, do you see this kind of jazziness, like moving even further in, in defeated sanity's music? Like, are there there other places that it could go in, in this particular band? Or do you think you'd have to like do other projects to bring that out more? Um,
1: even Darmada will be its own project. Like we've written one song, which actually has a longer solo section, where I'm thinking, just give it to someone else, tell him what's the scale here what's the or like or what's the what's the chord here what's the chord here, what's the chord there? let him just go nuts, you know mm. um, yeah, that's definitely going to be a project, yeah I don't take it too seriously right now because we want to tour on this stuff, and um what else I wanted to say? Um, yeah, the, 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 the actual jazz rock collaboration fusion thing. Um, I don't know. It's just somewhere in the future. I, I don't know. if it's Right now, I just know about Defeated. Uh, I haven't written any new riff. It's, it's just this record now. And I don't know what's next. I have absolutely no clue mm. what's next. But it can't be for myself being a fan... It can't be too far away from, from the the stuff that I love and I want to hear it. You know, I want to hear the the energy and the yeah. The, I just love the style. I guess it's a little bit of traditionalism, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I, I I honestly we've just talked about what could be the next album. You know, and maybe a concept will come you know like a lyrical concept will come or i don't know or just simply riffs will come we'll do more of the same in a good way who knows i i have no idea what's coming
0: well, yeah i kind of like that about disposal of dead It's <clears throat> like you kind of were saying like okay well we could go super primitive if we want we could go super technical if we want like all those options are available to you and you're not yes. like cutting off any avenue you you can just you can kind of do whatever you feel like
1: that's exactly what that was and um that was actually when we were in a in a state of we just did four brutal death metal albums, you know, and now what are we gonna do you know, and then come out these-'cause we're also fascinated by these super primitive stuff too, Brodequin and heinous killings and um dehumanized or whatever you know all this like where it's not really technical but exactly that is appealing and that that's why we made disposal mm. and was just a crazy idea our singer connie had hey let's make a split with each other and i was right on it i was like no this mm. is not a joke we're not going to f- forget about this we're going to fucking do it and then um i don't know jacob ha- seems to have more prog ideas like sometimes i can't use jacob's ideas because they're too prog mm, mm. but this time for Dharmada, it was just perfect. Like he wrote a lot of stuff there.
0: Well, yeah, it's it's cool as a fan too because I I've always enjoyed you know the Cynic and the Atheist, and I've and I've also enjoyed mm. like you know just just the stuff that's you know like obituary or something or something that's mm-hmm. just so much more about this hard hitting, simple. Yes. Like it's nice to in one band not to have to kind of choose.
1: Yeah, and uh, yeah. you you don't have to on 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 that album. You don't have to you can just enjoy the one and then the other. Yeah. And the good thing is, even the people that hate Cynic and, and Watchtower and whatever, they can just turn it off then, and then they have a mini-EP. Um, EP. How long was it? Like 20-something minutes? The disposal was like more like 17, I
2: would say. Mm. Mm. Really? The disposal part of it, yeah. Was it? Yeah, but yeah. It, it alone was like 25.
1: Okay. I, th- I thought it was like over 20 minutes, but... I, they still have an EP with the, maybe the some people were like, "This is the best thing you've ever done." I'm like, "Finally, you're cutting out that stupid <laughs> jazz stuff." I'm like, "Yeah, that's why I, I wanted to cut out the stupid jazz there." Like, mm. I, I just wanted to. It's uh, sometimes I also thought like uh, it was a little bit like Miles Davis in the in the '90s, or. He lived in, until the 90s, right?
0: Uh, I think he died in, like, 91, I think. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Imagine him going and saying, I want to do Dixieland. I want to do a Dixieland right. album. <laughs> that, that's a little bit like it was, Yeah, 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 yeah. you know? Yeah. And that's, I, I don't I, I love that freedom. Mm. And people took it pretty good.
0: Yeah, it's funny, because it's like, yeah, you see some people who love it. I, I think I saw some YouTube comment where somebody who saw, there was, like, a live... Video of only the Dharmada set. Somebody's like, "This isn't defeated Santa." You're like, "This isn't the band I heard on the record." Why are they playing with these high pitched vocals and why is it so proggy and stuff like that? So it, yeah, you, know, you
1: you know what? I I genuinely love these people. Mm. Like I I love these. Like some of my buddies are like that. What 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 did you do that? was stupid? And I'm like, yeah, whatever, man. Yeah, fuck you. <laughs> let's let's enjoy the disposal <laughs> shit together. And then uh, I. I don't know, it's I I love it and I um I even I also love the eggheads that say, Yeah, that's the only good thing you've ever done. Mm, mm, it's like mm. I I'm just like you guys all these guys are missing out because I love it all. Sure, and, sure, sure. And sure. then some, you know.
0: Yeah. Cool. That's all it is. That's I think that's a good place to stop it, that's it. Cool? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. thing from his father and that's kind of where this all starts but like where does this where do jazz and metal come into the picture for you like which is first and how to both you know make their way in
2: gotcha so for me it probably started with meeting wolfgang and lola honestly okay so i wasn't really exposed to all that stuff that lola was exposed to i mean he was fortunate to really grow up in that environment and while my parents were musicians not musicians, but music lovers, I would say, and played instruments. they were not um, not as involved as you know Wolfgang, who, who would play in bands and actually release music and stuff so um, so my background was not really not jazz at all. I, I actually grew up on classical music, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and then metal later, of course, in my, in my teens, metal came into the picture, so um so I just basically when I started playing music outside of classical, so I had a classical guitar background, but when I started playing in bands, it was all about metal. Mm-hmm. Like I wanted to play metal, and uh, yeah, as fast as you know, I was always I was always attracted to to ridiculousness, to speed and, and intricacies, mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and metal delivered that and aggression. Of course, obviously, aggression was you know what really drew me into that. And, um, you know, I had a few bands where I experimented with that sort of math metal thing and uh, technical death metal was starting to become a big thing back in the early 2000s, um, which is when I started. And then I, uh, so through another band where I experimented with, um, yeah, technical and sort of um, math I don't. It's kind of a stupid term, but they call that they call it math metal, right? Sure. Yeah. So you, I experimented you. with that, and then then uh, I saw Defeated Sanity live. Actually, uh, before I um, even heard of them, I just randomly went to a show in in two thousand two or three. Okay. In Berlin, and I saw Defeated Sanity in front of like twenty people or something, and it blew me away. And then shortly after that, uh, they released that first album, and I remember sitting there with my friend and listening to a little uh, drumming and we're just like, man, this is like literally putting a jazz drummer in in a metal context. I wasn't familiar with that concept yet. Really. I just started to uh, appreciate um, Cynic, for example, Mm, that was like mm. the demo stage Cynic. That was actually what I appreciated. Even focus was like too out there for me at the time. Focus uh, didn't really attract me as much, but I liked their demo stuff, um, which had, you know, Reinert, doing all this rudiment stuff that Lilla was talking about mm-hmm, over mm-hmm. basically death metal riffs. So um, so anyway, fast forward a couple of years, he asking me to join. And of course I said, hell yes. And um, and I met Wolfgang and, uh, you know, we'd be going to shows and um, in the van, there would always be Mahavishnu and all that stuff playing uh, because okay. that's what okay. they would listen to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um you know those tapes that uh Lilla is referencing when he's like, Oh yeah, Wolfgang's tapes and he didn't even really know what was on there. <laughs> it was just this like jam session of the jam session, like from weather reports to uh, you know, Mahavishnu and um and return to forever and that stuff. And and it was so obscure, I had to really like I had to have that little bit of guidance from them. Like they would be like teaching me i was young too i was like 17 years old and they would be teaching me like here see that's like an 11 and they would like like count it count it out and i'd be like man that's fucking crazy these guys are jamming over that stuff that opened a whole new world and then i would um i would see how the writing process works with the feeder sanity between wolfgang who is more of a free mind like he would basically have an idea and try to translate it onto guitar mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it would never be on the grid it would always be something that kind of just flows out of him and it was impossible to to write down we never even attempted it was just like okay i'll play it like this play it after me and i would try to learn it and um with uh Lilla was a little more brainy maybe like he really had a more concrete idea anyway so to answer the question, what exposed me to the to the jazz fusion influence was really those two guys back mm-hmm, in the day, mm-hmm. like yeah, two thousand five ish.
0: And and once once you heard it, did you sort of start doing some kind of digging on your own and 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 you know looking back through that stuff? Or
2: I I did dig some into some stuff. I was still probably more way more involved into metal and sure. um than him simply. Because I didn't grow up on that background, but uh, yeah, he gave me actually he gave me the Mahavishnu stuff, and, mm-hmm. and I loved it. And uh, where the report simply for the fact of you know Jaco being, sure. being such a such a maestro, you know I had to dig into that. And uh, he gave me some like Cannibal elderly, uh like the Black Messiah, really stuck with me. He gave me that one, and Miles Davis Tutu. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that was one of the one of the ones that really really stuck with me. And yeah, but I. I you know, if Lila says he's vanilla about jazz, then I'm—I don't know what I am, like cream, whipped cream. <laughs> it's um, like I really like it, but I—I uh, I think I was still too too focused on the heaviness and the aggression to uh, to isolate the jazz part to a degree where I would be dwelling on it for too long. Mm, mm. I would always. Uh, almost always prefer it to be mixed into my type of music, you know, mixed into like a fusion sort of thing or a proc sort of thing or, you know, death metal sort of thing that, that would be appealing most to me. Mm.
0: But, but, but it sounds like from, from bands like Cynic, you already had this kind of like idea in your head that these things could be combined.
2: Absolutely. That's, that's, that was around the same time though, where I, where I learned about all that stuff. And um I dug more into that like by checking out um by checking out uh, Sean Malone's project yes. and stuff like that. Um and uh, Is that Gordian Knot yeah, right. and he had actually also had records under just his name, but Gordian Knot that mm. really that stuff really appealed to me a lot. Um, yeah, and from a bass player's perspective I really, really dug into that playing wise, yeah.
0: Now the the now you joined Defeated Sandy what year? Two
2: thousand five.
0: 2005. Okay, so so you're on Psalms chapters yes. and everything. Or,
2: every, everything on Ward's. Er, everything after that.
0: Okay, so so it, that's kind of when this sort of prog- like the music is getting proggier and jazzier. Like as you're coming into yes. it, so it's like, what can you say about like the stuff that we hear, kind of like in full bloom or whatever on, um, like on passages or something where that stuff is so integrated into it. Like, what can you say about the kind of the rise of that current Mm -hmm. of things in the music, like tell us about how that gets to be such a strong element.
2: Yeah, I think that would be an interesting subject Um, because when I joined Defeated Sanity, it was Lilla and Wolfgang writing the music. Mm -hmm. And um, Christian uh, joined, the guitar player, uh, Christian Kuhn, joined it around the same time that I did. And um, I think we both contributed, like just brought it, Different type of sound into the band that Lilla was looking for, as he was, you know, the really the guy in, in, who, uh, who was there from the inception. And um, what happened is that on Psalms, it was pretty much Lilla writing everything except for I think one song was by Wolfgang. But when I joined the band, the, the album was written. I like literally contributed my bass lines and uh, went into the studio and recorded that one. And then uh, on Chapters was the first one that was a, more of a group effort. Passages even more so. So Passages was probably the most group effort album between um, Lilla, Christian and me. <laughs> so I think what happened there is that Lilla realized he now has the ability of having a guitar player like Christian in the band mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and me um, and t- uh, was able to create more with it than he had before. So he already had the vision, but now he had the musicians that could do it mm-hmm, and that mm-hmm. would bring their own stuff into the music. And I think that's why chapters and passages and onward really advanced over the early stuff that, you know, the vision was already there, but now he had the instruments to, to actually make it come true.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause that's what I, I think. I think passages was the first album of yours that I heard. And, and, that That's something that definitely really struck me is there'd be this like super intense sort of like blast beat stuff. And then like it would just break into this crazy like a lot of times it would be really just the, the bass and the drums kind of going off in this insane kind of through composed, you know. I don't know. I don't even know oh, what you yeah. call it. I mean, t- tell me about like how those parts come about. Okay,
2: that's another interesting one. So um, around that time, our practice routine was, um, I would come over to uh, to Lilla's place, who lived basically above the rehearsal room. So we were the only, at that point, Wolfgang was out of the band. Christian lived in Hamburg. We both lived, Lilla and I lived in Berlin. So there was a separation that just led to the circumstance that rehearsals would always be drums and bass only. So, songwriting also was focused a lot around that. And um, I think that's how all these parts came about. And um, that's what shaped that, that we're trying to find parts together in the rehearsal room with just drums and bass available. So, um, yeah, that's actually another contributing factor of how how the bass became more prominent in the music, Mm -hmm, I would say, mm -hmm. simply because I was around the most to to interfere with his songwriting and, you know, throw my stuff in there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. those were interesting. Um, That was an interesting approach because it, it felt so normal just playing drums and bass. But whenever somebody else would come into the rehearsal room, they would be, like, freaked out to hear death metal without guitar. And it became so normal to us that it was just like, yeah, no, that's that's how we rehearse, like, 90% of the time. It's just drums and bass. Mm. Yeah.
0: Now, th- those those, like, sort of synchronized bass drum things, like, did those evolve out of, like... Was there jamming involved, like, improvising? Or was it more like, this is a written idea, let's play it?
2: Written, most of the time. Rarely we would... I mean... Okay, half and half, I would say. So we would have an idea and a, and a, a skeleton, like a construct, and we would then jam on it to refine it. And um, after jamming, would maybe or not while jamming, we would tweak a few things. So compose while jamming on a sort of pre-composed thing. That would be the process,
0: right? But one of you would one of you would come up with that figure. Yes. Yes. outside the room, yeah they it would e-
2: either be a drum groove that mm-hmm. Lilla came up with, or it's already some sort of riff that's the foundation, and then we'll um we'll venture on that riff and he he'll, and he's gonna like I'm gonna tell him maybe sometimes too like hey can you can you shift that symbol or can you do this there?" And that mm-hmm. would evolve into something uh completely else from there
0: -hmm but but rarely would you come in and be like. We're just gonna play.
2: Yeah, we never jam on a blank sheet of paper. Really, that mm-hmm. that is not the style.
0: Mm-hmm. Is is uh, do you write? Would you write this stuff out? Like, if you had an idea on your own would you, that you came up with, would you bring it in on paper?
2: Usually, that's exactly what I would do. I would yeah. probably type it into some sort of notation program and mm-hmm. then print it out, bring it to the rehearsal room, uh, so that he can read and we can read together. Yeah, and work on it
0: because I know you have these like tab books and stuff like that like does does the does the whole band generally like work like like during the times when the whole band gets together like uh and I know there's been like the lineup change but like when it was Christian and you and um w- would it be like oh here's a song and let's just put it up on the stand and play it or is it not learned that way
2: um no that's actually that's kind of funny because we're one of the few bands in the technical death metal you know, thing that really doesn't do it that way. We will, most of the time, we'll write something, show it to each other, and then write it down rather than the other gotcha. way around. Or not even write it down. We actually have had a big problem when Christian left the band to, to recover songs because they were never written down, never written out. So, um, yeah, but... in, Yeah, I would usually... W- we would draft something. Like I would draft a riff and print it out. But like a final riff, Christian would never even do that. He he <laughs> he was the least tech of all of us. He would be the person that um that that yeah he can only learn by ear and he would only learn by ear. And he would forget often, which was a problem sometimes. But um, you know, of course we can we can recover everything, but yeah that that was the approach. Usually the riff was handed down. Um <laughs> from member to member by playing it and repeating.
0: Mm. Now I'm I'm kind of interested and and Lil and I obviously talked about this already but I'm kind of interested from your perspective this kind of whole um like kind of organic quality to, to this band that, that puts it at odds with so much other kind of quote unquote technical death metal. Like you talked about in the early 2000s, like that that, start, that sort of stuff was sort of coming around, like maybe things like necrophages, things like that, like where people have an idea that this music sounds so pristine. It basically sounds like it was just almost fed into a computer or something like that. And you don't even know, it gets to the point where you don't know if it's being played true. Uh, by yeah, by true. people at all. Um did you already coming into the band share this idea that it should sound a little more human or 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 was that something that you adjusted to because that was the way that defeated sanity was going? Did you already have that in your mind?
2: Mm, I think we were we were on the same page about that stuff. um I was not even considering all the options that I later learned existed, like when I learned you know how certain technical death metal albums were recorded at the time, you know note-by-note punch-ins and all that stuff then that was surprising to me when i heard those technical death metal bands at that time i honestly thought that was all real that was played and they're just that good so um we we really that was always our that was our bar like we wanted to be that good that we can play it that way obviously we weren't but (laughs) that was the bar that we set for ourselves
0: so those three records, uh Psalms Chapters and uh, Passages, are those h- how li- like are those w- like one take performances for e- like is each song like played all the way through on those records generally or is there punch ins or like how does that
2: Um different on each album I would say. Um Psalms was the most live recorded. Okay. So Psalms was also because of a little bit of a time crunch we had with the budget and the studio time that we were, were able to book. It was um, drums all the way through with the whole band. Even two guitars at the same time because we had Wolfgang and we had isolation booths. So the whole band, without vocals, um, would play a song together until we had a few good versions and especially a few good drum versions because we knew the drums are not going to get overdub. The drums are one take what they are. So we did that. We recorded every song a few times and maybe in a day and a half we were done with that. And then we would do some overdubs for bass and some overdubs for um, guitar and obviously add guitar solos and then eventually vocals. But I would still say that drums were 100% track live and the rest was probably like 50 to 75% live and the rest was overdubbed. Chapters, we went into regular production mode so drums first bass guitar you know how other bands do it simply because we didn't have an engineer i did all that by myself so um that was one reason and it was a different studio was my my little project project studio so we were more limited and we had to do it the um for metal traditional way of overdubbing and then passages we went back into the same studio we recorded Psalms at with the same idea of recording everything live which we did the difference was we didn't have Wolfgang anymore we only had one guitar so there was obvious obviously already one whole guitar track that needed to be overdubbed and also we had slightly more budget and more studio time so even though we had the wish to record everything live, we had enough time to actually go back and and overdub things that were not 100% perfect. Um, simply because we, you know, once you get too deep into it, you like start hearing things that are, that maybe during Psalms would have been totally okay and we would have left them on the record. But then we're like, ah, you know what? We have the time. Let's make it better. So Passages was kind of a mixed bag um, that was still... Uh, Built on a live foundation, like the three of us at least, Con- uh, not Connie, but Christian, Lil, and I played together. And again, like maybe 50% of the stuff stayed on there. 100% of the drums, maybe 50%, maybe not 75 this time, but 50% of the stuff stayed on there. But then we still had to track a whole guitar overdub and the vocals and solos, of course, too, yeah. So yeah, mixed bag.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, now I think Lila was saying that Darmada was you know, at least some portion of that sort of came from you, like compositionally, like, and that being the album where it's kind of this sort of progginess, jazziness, whatever you want to call it is like the most, or or sorry, that half of the album is, is, you know, where that's the most sort of foregrounded Mm -hmm. in the music. Like, what can you tell me about, um, you know, about, about the writing of that music? And, you know, I'm I'm particularly curious about what might've like influenced it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, beyond, you know, we've talked about Cynic and things like that, but were there other things in the mix? That-
2: yes. Um. So I think we have a great overlap, Lila and I, um, apart from death metal, obviously, we have a great overlap when it comes to prog metal. And even some power metal ventures, you know, like here and there, like we like the early iced Earth stuff too, you know. We like Symphony X. We both do like Symphony X Watchtower, obviously, which we've discussed Spastic Inc., um, so, or like old Dream Theater, you know that kind of stuff, and all that uh, played into the making of this EP. That I was really happy to finally be able to have a, you know, like an outlet for some of these ideas and some of that playing style that I that I wish I could have done, but was never able to with Defeated Sanity. And because I made Defeated Sanity my main band, we were a very active band. I didn't really have an outlet next to that either. So I was welcoming that a lot, that Lola and I had this idea of, of breaking up our style into the two extremes. Okay, let's separate the, all the brutal, all the caveman stuff and, and also dedicate the production to that. And likewise with the technical stuff to not just come up with proggy riffs that I love to hear and more so even to play. But also the production, you know, it starts with the tuning. We were like, "Hey, wouldn't it be awesome to make this E standard?" That that sounds absolutely ridiculous for a death metal band, especially these days. Yeah, but it felt so good and it felt so right to to play on a on a light gauge uh, stringed uh, bass for that. I actually used a different bass, different tone, everything. So it was really, yeah, it was. Um, How do you say? I was like a child in a toy store or something. (laughs) You know, like all these possibilities and that sound. And yeah, we we were, um, yeah. Coming back to your question, we were both very much influenced by, apart from Cynic, by like actual prog bands, you know. (laughs) There were others, of course, to name. I don't know, like Mystic Force is another one we we like to reference that nobody else seems to know about. And um, when it comes to uh, to dream theater we were on the same page that we only like the first two really maybe first two and a half Mm. albums of that sort and you know so we're on the same page when it comes to to the to the prog power metal thing where you know which psychotic walls for sure which we're you know not ashamed of and (laughs) we can finally show (laughs) so yeah that was that was uh the fun in that little project for Mm.
0: me now I know Lila was saying that there was that that in in Defeated Sandy in general like improvisation is not really not really a part of it. But like on that on that record, I mean, there certainly are like solos. You know, I know there's parts where the drums sort of break out. Mm-hmm. There's there's guitar solos, things like that. Like, are there even little moments where where you know things might sort of vary take to take? Like like you know, in
2: very little moments. I would say, um, you know. Maybe an ending, maybe a lick will be slightly different bass-wise. There's obviously um, always a little more freedom in the drums because the drums don't have to play a riff. The drums can venture off a little bit. Sure. While the song will still be that song. If you do that with riffs, the song will change more and people will maybe not recognize the song anymore. So um, still very little rev- very little, like, you know, 95% written out. Five percent freedom. That's that's maybe it.
0: Well, just out of curiosity, like, okay, so so there might not be like actual audible variation, but I would imagine, especially for like a bassist and a drummer, like how much um, sort of you know getting to know one another's feel, because obviously like Lila has a very specific feel as a drummer. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess talk about and you know the 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 bass and the drums are such an important foundation defeated sanity i guess i'm wondering like from like a bass player perspective like i don't know what can you say about the kind of the feel of playing with lila versus maybe other people you might have played with or
2: yeah um we kind of grew together like you know like siamese twins sometimes because we've played so much together that i can often feel where he's going and um it's I don't have the same experience with any other drummer obviously that I've shared so many, you know, hours of playing music together. But um yeah, it's it's definitely we can play without a click track together and and play pretty crazy stuff and would always end on the one together, you know. That's that's definitely there's a connection there where I can feel where his fills are going or, you know, what he has in mind, when he's when he might be pushing, when he might be dragging a little bit, I can I can sense that without really thinking about it. So yeah, that's definitely that's a foundation that I would not have with other drummers. In fact I did play um session for a tour with uh, German friends of ours, uh Obscura long time ago, um like ten years ago. And that was uh with Hannes Grossmann on drums. Uh-huh who I um, have never played with before. And that was very different. I had to listen a lot to where he was going. And when he was rushing, I would really have to adhere, like step back and listen, like on stage, like literally step back and listen where he's going and try. It It took a lot more focus to stay in the pocket with somebody I don't have that same um, background with. So that's actually yeah. Thinking about it, that was the one time where I could really feel the difference of how well we lock in, and how much harder it is to lock in the same with a with a different drummer who's not better or worse. He's just a different style.
0: Is it hard? Because okay, because I know that you know you you were talking about Christian left the band recently. I I think you've been like auditioning guitar players. I don't know if are are there are there permanent members now in the
2: band. we don't have a permanent member we have not elected anyone and we're not really planning to elect someone um anytime soon Mm. but then again planning and is not always what happens so we kind of leave that part open we have uh two very talented guys that um that will be playing with us live this year in europe and in the u.s and elsewhere and um one of them is actually from California and doesn't live too far away from me now, so that's helpful. The other one is near London, uh, based in near nearby London, and um, yeah, we kind of we kind of want to we kind of want to hold off on on that, um, you know, electing someone, and then it may not be the perfect fit. Um, musically, I'm not even doubting it, but you know how a band is an organic. Thing, and it kind of has to grow together organically so mm-hmm. yeah we don't really believe in electing someone and and then having to stick to that we much rather would have to have, have it to happen organically mm-hmm, so yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's the reason why we sort of stay like on paper for this record at least as a three piece with guests
0: right 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 yeah i mean so 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 basically at this point like you you know you two are the the real like glue at the heart of this thing
2: pretty much um oh yeah sorry Wolfgang is uh gone Christian was the well like the core meat and potatoes sort of um you know rhythm player with (laughs) us Mm -hmm. so now it's really it's really crazy because it's it's only two players and and one vocalist who's not a lesser member obviously he's actually very very involved and that's great because we never had that before. So we we had to let go of one guitar player but now we have a singer who is actually more involved than any other singer was before. So that's that's validating him as a as a core member now too. So yeah, it's yeah, it's an interesting interesting um change of uh yeah, constellations.
0: Well, so I was talking with, you know, so, so Lila and I had talked about this thing about kind of in this larger way of like you know how this idea of like how did this kind of background in jazz and fusion things like that change you know change the course of the the way that your version of death metal sounded i guess i'm wondering like for you coming into this band after it started Okay, so like if you had joined a different band, a different technical death metal band, you might you, you know it might be one of these like sort of you know playing on a click, everything sort of sound replaced, much more kind of artificial. But like but like this this band has this kind of much more like organic attitude. And I guess I'm wondering like coming into this band, you know, driving around the van, listening to Ma Vishnu, you know, being in this band with you know these kind of fusion heads and people who had their ears much more open to kind of like to jazz and other things. Like how do you feel like? It's kind of a broad question, but like, how do you feel like it's impacted you? At, like, changed the course of your own like musicianship, I guess. Uh,
2: changed everything, of course, hundred um, percent. I would not be the same musician, possibly not even the same person. Obviously, as everything kind of interconnects and intertwines. Um, if I if it wasn't forty feet of sanity, so uh, yeah, I would, I would have not learned about a lot of things. Uh, would have probably learned about other things and i'm I would probably not have been happy with a death metal band that wants to sound uh you know sound replaced on the grid quantize that was never my my type of thing, and I would have never been happy with that because I was always uh all about the the musical experience and actually delivering something sort of closer to a classical musician um but yeah, it changed everything. Playing with Lilla for 15 years uh, made me a much better musician in a lot of ways. Understanding music, um, grooving over odd time signatures, um, pushing boundaries that I didn't push before. I pushed other boundaries, but you know, it definitely it changed everything. And uh, yeah, it's great that it happened that way. It happened. Mm. This is
0: kind of like a speculative thing, but like, Why do you, okay, so we've been talking about the many ways in which Defeated Sandy differs from like the norm of where, you know, if there's kind of this like baseline of like, you know, Lilo was talking about, you know, people feel like they have to do, you know, they have to produce the record this way and, and, you know, the, the kicks have to be triggered this way and everything has to be kind of in this little box. Like, why do you think, why do you think there are relatively few bands who who step out like why don't why don't we see more people pushing against that why is it so rare for a band to be yeah not that yeah I think I get
2: get your question um I think a lot of it has to do with um what Lilla also mentioned bands trying to be appealing or you know sounding according to a contemporary um uh sound modern modern tone so uh it's a just like a lot of other music that's um, dwelling more on popular things than artistic things, maybe it's it's competitive and people are trying to, uh, to outdo each other and people are trying to be heard. And nobody wants to sound weak, especially in death metal. And unfortunately, the triggered, quantized, uh, perfected sort of tone is considered... Um, the that's the bar that's the standard and if you don't deliver on the same level whether it's fake or not then it's it's weak and not uh you know not appealing to a lot of metalheads who are you know a little a little close-minded maybe you could say and um also engineers are pushing for that obviously because they want to uh they want to well advance their name by appealing to that as well if they're Like, let me bring up this one example. Um, When we recorded, uh, when we released Psalms, there were a lot of people commenting online that it was sloppy. You know, like that that was sloppy. And then basically it happened again with chapters and even passages. But passages was like the first record where people would say, oh, now you're finally like trying to like go for a more hi-fi tone. Which had to do with- production um and I always felt like if if psalms and chapters are sloppy, you know then then we're clearly then anybody anything that's natural is is perceived sloppy these days by metalheads, so you have to be supernatural to not be sloppy, and if an engineer wants to you know put his name and shine with a record he puts out he doesn't want to be considered like a demo type of engineer he wants to he wants to sound like like you know like the other bands out there like the other productions out there so they also push for for the you know the plastic (laughs) Mm. just to you know get away from the demo kind of slop that um you know that used to be the standard in the 90s and was perfectly fine but for some reason it's not anymore
0: yeah I was gonna say because like you know we had talked about records like you know Tomb of the Mutilated or something like that um and or or even you know or even like you know Covenant by Morbid Angel things like that, where it's like you know the the thing that always appealed to me about that stuff was you know the the music was pushing towards like a superhuman aesthetic, but you could always hear the people like humanly mm-hmm. executing it, you know it's that tension yeah. between. You know, that's what I love about sort of death metal it's like that tension between, you know, stretching beyond, you know, the physical limits. But then you can hear that, you know, I don't know. And, and I think Defeated Sanity just like nails that because the you, you guys are just, you know, especially with Lilla's like Gravity Blast, things like that. It's mm-hmm. like you're always pushing these thresholds, but it's like it never doesn't sound like a band. You know? Yeah,
2: it's, it's interesting. I think if Tomb of the Mutilated would be released nowadays... And not in 1992, it would probably not appeal to a lot of these people. These people would probably say it's it's a sloppy demo band. That's unfortunately how the bar has been raised higher and higher beyond what uh, you know we consider natural or human. The human element just you know was was erased, and and apparently nobody's missing it. I guess not, and it's strange
0: because like Tomb of the Mutilated, it's like. There's a very clear line between, you know, like the blues to Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath, you know, in in the seventies up to, I mean, I guess things got a little bit sort of synthetic sounding in the eighties, but like, you know, to me the mutilated is sort of like the Black Sabbath version of Death Metal. You know what I yeah, mean? It's yeah. like, you know, it's like people in a room playing. And yes. it, you know what I mean?
2: Yeah, I feel like Death Metal probably went down the same path as other music um uh genres before when it when it was new. It was just naturally, it was um, young people who maybe were not mastering their instruments yet, and engineers were not mastering the sound. Right. Plus, recording techniques were stuck. You know, obviously th- the budgets were different, so they they didn't have the same recording techniques that like you know Michael Jackson had or whatever already back in the day. So while the like basically in the in the childhood of the genre things were more natural and then went down the same path like other uh, genres before where it became more and more refined and polished, you know, to a point of overproducing. And, uh, yeah, I think that's that's what happened, that as the bar gets raised, people get accustomed, people's ears get accustomed to that tone. And then suddenly, if you're not, if you're not doing all these um, quantizing uh, or whatever techniques, um, And suddenly, you're perceived as as a lesser band.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's kind of like that mastering thing where people have to keep making things louder and louder. Yeah, very, very similar. You know, because it's like you know have this like slam worldwide thing where it's like you know one death metal band after another, and it's like if you put one on that was that was up to that standard quote unquote and one that wasn't, there would be some weird yeah disconnect in people's ears or something like
2: that. Yeah, I think really that people's ears have been accustomed, and unless your Educating your ears against that and like really spending time, you know, getting to the bottom of uh, production and, and all that, then you're, you're just gonna fall victim to that. And, you know, naturally, our ears are, are very, very relative um, uh, instruments. So we base what we hear, we base on the last thing we've heard before. Mm-hmm. That's how our ears work. Mm. So yeah, that's just like the loudness wars kind of happening with the overall production quote unquote values. <laughs> well, I think what's cool about
0: Defeated City is like like I was saying before, it's like this this it's almost like separating it out like like it is state of the art in terms of the playing. In fact, it's like some sometimes like it, beyond the state of the art in terms of like some of the things that are going on with. You know, the, just the insane speed and all that, but you, you but, but so it's pushing the playing, but it's saying let's just keep the let's not pretty up the mm-hmm. sound. You know, like so. So in a way, it, it highlights how brilliant the playing is because you're not messing with it.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what we're going for, really. And um, sometimes we even go the opposite way, like on disposal or um, disposal of the dead. Our goal was not just musically to go to the extreme. Like you know, Brodequin, whatever we grew up on, end of death metal, but we also wanted it to sound like that. We wanted it to sound like it wasn't mastered, like it wasn't produced. You know, kind of a black metal approach here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. yeah, that's that's interesting. I didn't think about that because yeah, obviously that's like an entire genre where you know that that sort of like lack of production thing becomes an aesthetic in and of mm-hmm. itself. But then the, the, yeah, death it's so split off. Whereas in like the early late 80s or something like that like those two things were kind of in one but the correct but death metal's become like this hyper prog you know almost like it's basically electronic music
2: yeah basically yes it's 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 crazy and it it's even death metal became a monster that is gotten too big to even be one genre like be contained within one name of death metal absolutely Yeah. yeah
0: yeah Yeah, like it doesn't even make like you know if you have these bands like, Revenge or something like that mm. uh, on one side, and then you have like the you know everything that comes after Necrophages there's probably like a hundred right. bands I've never even heard of, but yeah, where it's basically just like computerized classical music, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, know? pretty much,
2: yeah, yeah, th- yeah. It's interesting how how far it spread, like you know, like a tree, you know, every branch becomes thicker and then spawns new branches, mm. and yeah put possessed on one end and uh, I don't know, spawn a possession mm-hmm. next to it, it's just two different things.
0: Well yeah, and again, as you know, as we had said with Lilla, like that's that's what's so cool about your band is that is that you don't is that you really do embrace ideas from that whole spectrum. Yeah, indeed. And try to make it all make sense in one
2: Yeah, we 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 just try not to set boundaries um for for the name Defear Sanity. We really go by what we like. Mm-hmm. So it may not. I think that was from a, like a purely um, promotional or like how do you say it? public re- relation from from like a purely uh, a standpoint where we want to brand our band. Sure. That was obviously incredibly dumb, but we never thought of that or even cared um, because we were just like, hey, we want to do what we want. For, so people got mad at us for releasing Damada under the Defiance name we're like why you know like if you if you would have listened to any of our records from like Prelude or you know any other album then this should not really hit you by a surprise but um, yeah people get very very sensitive when their band that they like changes and uh, then you know they have a hard time en- enjoying that band anymore so yeah it's it's a close-minded thing and never appealed to us I mean we, we changed singers with every album that mm-hmm. alone mm-hmm. that alone is like suicide for any band mm-hmm. that changes their singer and you know most bands don't survive that and we just did it over and over again
0: <laughs> mm. well yeah it's funny with that thing about dharmada disposal because like you were so clear about it you know what mm-hmm. i mean like it wasn't even like here's this thing figure it out you literally were like this part is influenced by early <laughs> 90s cynic it's a tribute to that this part is supposed to be super yeah you know like like you couldn't have been more clear about yeah. what it was
2: supposed to be. But, but people don't necessarily pick up on it. And even more, it was astonishing how we went on tour with that material and we announced everything. Like this is going to be a Dalmada tour. We're going to have a second guitar player. We're going to play these songs. And all that stuff was announced over and over again. Uh, yet we had people at shows who like were angry and disappointed that we didn't play the Defeat of Sanity stuff that they like. But yeah... I guess not everyone's on the internet or not everyone reading is reading the right channels or something. But it's it's weird how that there's that disconnect that people should know better when they're when they call themselves Defeat Sanity fans. They they should know that we don't really have those boundaries, but then they do still get get upset. I
0: think that's the you know, and and I think that's in a way the kind of double-edged sword of like metal fandom because metal fans are like the most passionate fans mm-hmm. you know almost like period you know yeah. I, and i've talked about this with like jazz musicians about how you know most jazz musicians would be like lucky to have fans the way that metal you know oh, in, yeah. that are the same intensity as as but but there, with that comes that yes yeah it's cl- kind of close may, sometimes like kind of close mindedness or judgment it can be it can yeah. be
2: and especially the more traditional the fans are i feel like rock fans are even more uh yeah close-minded or whatever than, um, than metal fans. Rock fans are more, even more set on an idea. So I, there's a spectrum, obviously, of uh, metal fans being more into the traditional stuff over to, um, you know, prog and jazz uh, connoisseurs that also happen to listen to metal, even mm-hmm. death metal. There's definitely a spectrum. But yeah, the the stubbornness of some metal fans definitely didn't help us during the time of the Dalmada tours and, and releases.
0: Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, and I think, I think that, I don't know. I mean, c- clearly the band can sort of go whatever direction it wants. and The next time you guys came back around, like you know, it was just played sort of back to completely different. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I, I, I mean, as you know, as a fan, I appreciate that that openness within the band that I just don't hear in a lot of other.
2: Yeah, bands. and it's it keeps things interesting because honestly, uh, I wouldn't have thought I'd be doing this type of music for so long. And um, I think a big reason why I'm still interested in in going on tour with that music is because we change it up every time. We never tour with the same live set twice. And we would never do the same album twice. So, yeah, it takes the extra work that you have to put in, but uh, it just gives you, it rewards you for longer and you can keep going. And um, not just for the fans, but also for yourself. Keep it interesting.
0: Cool. Yeah, I think I think that's about. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for for talking to me. I appreciate it. Thank you. That's it. Thanks so much for listening. Huge thanks to Lila and Jacob for their time and to Colin Marston for hosting the interviews and stay tuned for the next episode of the Heavy Metal Bebop podcast coming soon.